0: Never fails that when you're about to preach on a text, God gives you prime opportunity to practice what He preached. And this week was no different. Um, this past week, uh, I, have, I have three kids, by the way, a 15-year-old daughter, 17-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son, and our 17-year-old had, a, had an elective surgery to help with her breathing planned months in advance. And that was supposed to happen, I believe Tuesday or Wednesday, it, whatever day it was doesn 't matter. My wife had taken the days off for it. We were ready as a family. Had a packed week at work, feeling good about everything lined up and ready to go. And wouldn't you know, just when you have your plans in order, a wrench gets thrown in. Anybody ever have that happen? A wrench thrown into the works? No? Somebody? Okay. All right, get out. No, I'm just kidding. Today doesn't apply, but it will someday, I promise. So the wrench gets thrown in when my other daughter, my younger daughter, um, begins to have very acute pain, significant pain, so significant that she actually needed to go in for spontaneous surgery at the hospital downtown. Now, to put your mind at ease, everybody's okay, none of it was life-threatening, and thankfully, they're recovering. But what ended up happening was our plans, can I say, went to hell in a (laughs) handbasket? Because I feel like that's where they went. And while I was sitting in a waiting room in one med center calling off of work and being present, my wife was sitting in another waiting room. Now, we each had very different waiting experiences, right? Waiting for a planned procedure that everybody knows what's going to happen and how recovery is going to look feels stable. Waiting for the next OR to open up, And not knowing when that's going to be, or how long you're going to be there, or when the next nap potential is going to be, whole different waiting, right? There's going to be lots of different times in our lives where we have to wait. And the good news here this morning is that this is not a new human condition, or a surprise human condition. The question isn't if we'll wait, the question is how we will wait. Is anybody waiting on something today? Anybody waiting on anything? I can hear it around the room. This topic of conversation is relevant to all of us. Whether you're waiting on a medical procedure, whether you're waiting on a, like I was in a waiting room, or a Sunday afternoon trip to Wegmans and line there, if you're brave enough to go and wait in line there. You might have trivial waiting experiences. By the way, when you're waiting for something, sometimes you just need to keep hope alive in some way, shape, or form. Just saying. So example of trivial waiting, I don't know. For those of you who are listening online, I'm wearing my Bill's socks. I don't care if they're done for the season. Go Ravens. (laughs) Just kidding, everybody. There's trivial waiting, and then there's critical waiting, right? We know the difference. As we're singing the songs this morning, I was sitting in the back, I, I was sitting in the front, but I was reminded and many of you know this, but two years ago, my older brother was in a life-threatening, near-death car accident. And I remember sitting in the, in the back seat of this room, the farthest back row, and sitting in here while songs were being sung about the faithfulness of God and having to leave and, and looking from the back of the room at people who I knew had been through much similar or worse experiences than me and were raising their hands and praising God for his faithfulness. And in the midst of my critical waiting, wondering if my brother would make it another day, I looked around this room and just began to weep at the testimony of the people who had waited through critical, harsh, maybe even hellish moments. I actually had to leave that day because I just was breaking down and couldn't hold it together. So I don't know where you're at, and we can joke about the trivial moments, right? But the temperature changes when we begin talking about the waiting of critical moments. But the good news is, we're not the only ones, and we're not alone. We have each other to lean on, to rub shoulders with, to be encouraged by, and most importantly, we have God's word and God's presence to be with us as we wait, So this morning, as we dig into the book of Habakkuk again, I want to ask you the question as we start, what is the condition of your waiting? What is it? How are you waiting today? Are you waiting faithfully? Are you waiting skeptically? Are you waiting with frustration? Are you waiting like I was two years ago with tears? Are you waiting in this moment over just something trivial and joyous, just kind of waiting for a Super Bowl win someday, maybe ever? Whatever you're waiting on. There are stark disparities between how we do so. So, let's dive in. Um, Before we read the text, I want to pray and give you a little bit of an idea about what Habakkuk is talking about and why he's talking about it. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. God, we thank you for the chance to learn how to wait faithfully, how to walk faithfully. and God, I thank you that before anything was said, you laid your word out before us so that we would have a guide, a light we can walk with you and you walk with us in your name. Amen. Amen. So main idea of this talk today and I'm going to give this to you so if you don't get anything else, get your pens out, get your phones out, take a picture of this. It should be up on the screens. Perfect. Yes, good timing. Yes, get that phone out. Full permission. Wait on God's timing. Inscribe his vision on your heart in his perfect plan. Patient faithfulness transforms dreams into divine masterpieces. And let me say this, it's not your masterpiece, it's his. It's his, although we all want it to be ours. Wait on God's timing, inscribe his vision on your heart, and his perfect plan, patient faithfulness transforms dreams into divine masterpieces. That's the whole idea. We could stop now and just take that and ponder it with Habakkuk's words for probably the rest of our lives. Uh, But let me take up more of your time with my stories. Let's reinforce this a little bit and give you some ideas on how to apply it. By the way, Habakkuk's life is not all that much different than ours. It was different in the specific acute struggle that he was facing, but the overarching complaint, I think, is still relevant for today. So let me just explain that a second. Quick history lesson. Habakkuk's Israel, Habakkuk's people, were facing intense economic strain and social injustice. Huge disparities between the wealthy and the non-wealthy. Huge disparities. Critical racism, like uh, wild running through their system. People People were treated like dogs, and others were treated like kings and queens, simply because of who they were born to, and the color of their skin, and the nation of their origin. In his nation, there were religious changes and idolatry happening because of other cultures and other nations coming to be with them. So, there was a synchronism or a syncretism, and it, in that means it's a blending of faiths. So, there was a universalism happening in Habakkuk's Israel where he was worried and concerned that people would f- forget the God of Israel and they would begin blending their worship with the worship of other gods. I know we don't deal with any of that these days in the United States or in our countries, but the last thing I just want to point to, and this is completely irrelevant. But um, Habakkuk was dealing with incredible internal political changes. N- nothing happened in this year on this one here. But um, let me just say this, though. The struggles that Habakkuk was dealing with were much more um, acute and painful in, in day-to-day life. People were literally being killed and losing their lives as a result of who was king and who wasn't. Which government was taking charge meant who would live on your street. So Habakkuk's concerns were similar to ours in a macro way, but very different to ours in a micro way. The stakes were very high for Habakkuk. And as he was pleading with the Lord, as he was arguing with God, and by the way, he says he was complaining. I I actually looked that over a couple times. I was like, wait, is it okay to complain to God? Is that okay? Like, I tell my kids not to complain. and Maybe if I'm more like Jesus, I tell my kids that they can complain, but it's really just about how they complain. There's a little bit there for us to chew on. So Habakkuk, in chapter 2, and you've been with us, we've gone through chapter 1. Pastor Dave and Pastor Jared have given great um, messages on these. If you haven't heard them, I encourage you to check them out. But we pick it up in Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct messages, message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. Father, we thank you for your word. Guide us by it this morning. Three things to learn from this passage today. First, the power in the waiting. Second, the pathway of faithfulness. And third, the poverty of passion, I'm pretty proud of myself for finding three P's there. see that? Thank you. clap. So power in the waiting. This opens up with and I don't, want to, I don't want to fly by this. The Lord says to Habakkuk, "Stop, pause. The Lord says to Habakkuk. If we get this, just this, it transforms our lives. The God of the universe that poured out his power, his grace, his essence into this world so that we could be, the God who holds all things together, the God whose name is whispered by the trees and the wind. I believe, and I'm crazy enough to believe, that God continues to hold us together as we spin and as we rotate around the globe and as we spin around the sun and as our universe continues to move, it's God through his systems and in the midst of his work that holds it all together. That God, that one king of all things speaks not just to Habakkuk but to us it blows my mind. It completely blows my mind. (laughs) Right? Like, if I could show you a picture of how I feel about this, this would not do it justice. If I take too much time even to talk about it right now, I might just fall on the floor. Because the reality is, we ought to be like ants. We are so potentially small and insignificant compared to the grandeur and the majesty of God. In the midst of this passage, I'm blown away by the fact that this king, this great glorious one, this gracious, beautiful God has said, you, Jeremiah, you, Peter, you, John, you, Antonia, you. He calls us by name and speaks to us and gives us time to be able to meet with him. He can choose how to spend his time, energy. He's not even in time. He can do whatever he wants with it. And he says, come and follow me. He says, meet with me in the stillness of the moments. Talk to me. Complain to me. And I'll talk back with you. And we see that here in Habakkuk's life. And I can't get by that without jumping into application without realizing, holy cow. God, thank you. So let's start there. The Bible says that the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Some of you might even already know this verse by heart, all you Bible quizzers. It is between soul and spirit. If you don't know what Bible quiz is, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. Scary thought. And he is the one in whom, to whom we are accountable. Never in Scripture, let me just say this, we are not off the hook ever for our sin. Jeremiah, what about Jesus? Hang on. You are accountable to God. Your life lived in Christ and we're going to see here is a life of required faithfulness to Him. So, in the midst of our journey, as we trust God with our salvation, it's His faithfulness. Oh, I'm giving it away. Spoiler alert. It's His faithfulness that we lean on that brings us to righteousness. So, we wait. The vision is for a future time, and He describes the end and that it will be fulfilled. We wait. That's easier to do sometimes than others. I get it. Because there's lots of obstacles to waiting. Lots of obstacles to waiting faithfully and righteously. Either in small moments, unimportant moments, and big critical moments. There's obstacles. I think one of the biggest obstacles, and I'm just going to get on a soapbox here this morning, and this won't come new to you, um, is our digital age. Right? Uh, This, the beautiful glowing screen that I carry with me everywhere I go. It has taken so much from us. And one of the things that I think it's taken from us is the capacity to be bored. Now, now waiting is more, faithful waiting, and the power of waiting is more than just being bored, but I think it might start there. Can I be bored? Because if I can be bored, there's a whole lot of other things that I can be. And one of those, I think, is I can learn to be a faithful waiter. And so here's the thing. Habakkuk struggled with this just as much as we do now, and he didn't have a cell phone, right? But I think this task of faithfully waiting and patiently waiting on the Lord is maybe more difficult for us because of what we have in our possession these days. And I think it's a trick for us to ignore it. So can I just quote some psychology psychology today. I always say that word wrong. Help me out. Psychology today. Who says that right? Thank you. Thank you. Psychology today. There, I did it. I did it. I got it. So I looked this up. I was like, is this just my idea? Like, does boredom actually improve things? Because I remember... Being a kid and being bored and like staring at my feet while the bus came and not having something to look at and then staring at a tree and then staring at other things for hours waiting for a bus to come instead of having a phone. And I feel like that was good for me, but I don't know if it was or not. So this is an article, didn't come up with this. I'll send this to you if you want it, proof for your kids, whatever. Boredom can actually improve our mental health. Get this. In the age of information, our brains are overloaded with information and distractions. The wealth of information means a scarcity of attention. Attention uses one's limited cognitive resources for productive activities. So taking a break can be a valuable opportunity to help our overloaded brains relax and alleviate stress. Wait, wait, but I like my Clash Royale. I like my mobile phone games. I like my social media. It helps me. I'm stressing myself out. Secondly, boredom can actually increase creativity. Instead of using ChatGPT to generate new ideas, if I take a moment of stillness and sit back and just quiet my heart and my mind, I can actually generate more ideas, new ideas in different ways. Maybe, just maybe, I'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment to help me understand something new. Boredom can improve an opportunity to turn inward and use the time for thought and reflection. Some of you are going to hate me by the end of this. Boredom can enable creativity and problem-solving by allowing the mind to wander and daydream. In one study, people who were made to do boring tasks, how would you like to be a part of that story, that study, the boring tasks encouraged their minds to wander, which led to creative ways of thinking. The study showed that with mundane activities, we discover useful ideas. In the absence of external stimulation, we use our imagination and think in different ways. Lastly, boredom motivates a search for novelty. Now, this could be dangerous, right? I remember lots of bored moments where, as a teenager, I got into things that were novelty. At the same time, humans would not have the taste for adventure and novelty-seeking that makes us who we are if it weren't for the practice of stillness. Intelligent, curiosity, and constantly seeking out the next thing. Novelty, seeking, implies dissatisfaction with the status quo and a willingness to challenge established ideas and practices. All stuff that somebody else smarter than me came up with and proves this idea that me staring at trees and at my feet for hours waiting for a bus in junior high made me better. (laughs) Mom, you were right. Waiting is more than boredom, for sure. Faithful living in the midst of difficult moments is not about boredom, but it's about a preparation through stillness that carries us in those moments. You see, when I was walking through the moments in that accident I referenced, I didn't have, and I'll be frank and honest, I didn't really have a significant practice of stillness. And so when the quiet moments came and I was... In the midst of the worry and in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the wonder of what was going to happen next, I didn't know what to do. It was the grace of God that developed a faithful rest and stillness after that, because of that, maybe even, that helped me realize, oh, I need to be practicing this daily. I need to be coming to you, Lord, to allow the quiet to rest in my soul. So when chaos is blowing like a storm, I can come back to that place and rest in you. We don't get this right often. And today I'm challenging you to do something that you may not often do. And that's come back to the moment of quiet stillness that we know is a source of life-giving strength and rest in that every day. Even if it's boring, even if you don't feel it, come back to that moment and by faith live in that space because it's in the chaos moments that you need it. Waiting is something that's been around forever. I've said that, right? There's a, there's a power in it. So, first application for this first idea there's power in waiting. Practice listening to his word daily in quiet, in quiet. Maybe it's just two minutes. Maybe it's one minute before you get out of the car and go to work. Maybe it's taking a deep breath and thanking God for that breath. Whatever it is, start small and allow the waiting moment to take over and thank God for his presence and grow it from there. Secondly, there's a pathway of faithfulness. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness, to God. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And this is tricky because there's a tension here. There's a two-way tension of obedience and grace. So you can read this a couple of different ways. The righteous will live by faith. Does that mean my righteousness is dependent upon my living by faith? And, and I would say there are a couple ways to look at this. And, and I'll, I'll say, even in Christendom, there's a traditional view of this that is oh, you know, if you don't live out by works your faith you are not saved your salvation comes by way of you working on it that's a christian a traditional christian perspective another traditional christian perspective is grace is what causes us to live by faith i believe that paul the apostle looks back at this verse and points to it saying don't you know it's not by your works it's by our faith The righteous shall live by faith. We sustain ourselves on the hope of things we do not see. So this morning, as I share this verse with you, I want to point to a couple of pretty incredible moments in history where people, and maybe even man's best friend, have waited well. Has anybody ever heard the story of the dog who waited for its owner, who went missing just recently? There's been a few of them, actually. I didn't know this. I remembered the story. I actually asked... My daughter, hey, when I say this to you, when I say waiting patiently, what do you think of? And she said, the dog. I was like, what? what? Our dog? What? She doesn't wait patiently for anything. What are you talking about? She's always wanting to eat or go out or whatever. I need this dog that I'm about to tell you about. So the dog named, I'll jack up the dog's name, poor thing, Mukhtar, had become known to the whole community as he went out every day in the same place by the sea, in the city of Yalta, Looking out to sea, hoping to see his owner, a lifeguard who disappeared at sea and who was never found again. During the 12 years of waiting, the dog is said to have become a problem for some citizens who had reported it to the authorities. They decided to euthanize him. But it was the great revolt of the local residents that stopped them. Everyone knew and loved him. The death of the dog has also affected the mayor of the city, who said that they will place a bust of him in the place where he always stood. Now get this, this is what the mayor said. This is about a dog waiting for his owner. Going back to the same place at the beach, you can see pictures of this online where the dog waited and waited and waited every day. This is what the mayor said. He was more than a dog, now he's a star. Love and waiting, the two reasons for living that have dramatically united our stories. Love and waiting. Now, he said that was the two reasons for living. I don't know how far that goes, but I'll tell you what, that's meaningful. The the older I get and the older my kids get, I realize so much of life is love and waiting. Faithful expectation of something great and waiting for it to come into fruition. Faithful waiting is not just sitting by a stone wall waiting for something to happen, but it's an action. It's grabbing hold of what we don't see and living with the confidence that one day we'll see it. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. A Christian is not a man, he said man, sorry ladies, but we'll say humans, I think he meant that. A Christian is not a person who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time enabling him to repeat, in some degree, the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. That is why the Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to be good. They hope by being good to please God, if there is one. Or if they think there is not, at least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. He does not think God will love him because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. Here's the secret of the righteous life lived by faith. Allowing the light of the sun to reflect off the roof of your life. Welcome the righteousness of God through your faithfulness. It is an action. It is a state of being. It's an act of welcoming God's presence. Thirdly, and finally today, I want to talk about the poverty of passion. And this is something that we may have heard about in different ways in different times. But Habakkuk 2.5, as he wraps up this brief pericope, he says, Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. There is a danger in counterfeit sons. Anthony, would you come on up? As we wrap up, I want to share a... This, see, this is another thing that happens as you're preparing for a sermon. You start to look through sermon eyes at things. I don't know if anybody, you, you know, it's like the red car syndrome. You, drive, you start driving a red car, all of a sudden you see all the red cars on the street. I'm on the elliptical at the gym, and I'm watching the, the TV because you're forced to watch whatever they put on the TV, and I'm watching Shark Tank. Anybody know what Shark Tank is? For those who don't, there's a bunch of people with lots of money, and then there's people with ideas and no money, That are trying to get some money to make more money, basically, with ideas. And somebody came in front of the sharks with this idea for, um, and actually, the the name of the idea, maybe some of you have seen this, Mama Sing My Song. Anybody ever seen this one? Mama Sing My Song? All right, great, none of us, just me. So, (laughs) So, Mama Sing My Song is an idea that is pretty cool. It's a stuffed animal that parents, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, can sing, record a song into, and then you give it to the child so that when you're not with them, they can squeeze it and hear the song, song. Isn't that sweet? Hear the song, song. Now, we, did, we actually got something like this from my father-in-law a number of years ago for Christmas. It was he and uh, my mother-in-law singing songs through a book. They read the book and then they sang a song at the end. Super cool. Here's what we do. In the midst of our journey, we get things that are supposed to remind us about God. And instead of being satisfied with them reminding us about God, we make them into God. How crazy would it be if the child getting the stuffed animal from Mama Sing My Song looked at that bunny rabbit or that bear and said, Mommy, Daddy. And when Mom or Dad walked in the room, they ignored them and just held on to the stuffed animal. How wild would it be if instead of after reading through the the Christmas book that I got with my kids, my father and mother-in-law came in from Texas, and instead of walking over to them and giving them a big hug, they just kind of kept listening through the book. Doesn't make sense, right? But we do it every day. And Habakkuk, and God's word through Habakkuk says, be warned, your pride, your ego is treacherous. And it will be easy for you to trade the things that I've made for you. For who I am in you. And so this morning, my challenge to you, finally, as we wrap this portion of Habakkuk up, is to spend time with him every day in stillness. Be present of mind. You can see these kind of, I'll call them applications. Practice listening to his word every day. Welcome righteousness through faithfulness. It's his faithfulness shining on us that causes us to be guided well. And then finally, resist replacing God's design with mere reminders of his blessing. It's only him that carries us through the waiting. It's only him. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way that you speak to us in this still easy moments for the sake of the stormy chaos moments. Help us today, Lord, to look at this word with an eagerness, with a with a hopefulness, with a faithfulness that helps us to stand on our two feet and rest in the knowledge that the king of the universe, the one who made it all and holds it all together, is with us. Lord, we take comfort in that. And I pray for anybody in this room right now who's in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a waiting In the midst of a difficult season, God, I pray that you would comfort their hearts, that you would hold them together as you have for so many before. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen.